Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Poncho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Poncho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Here's what we're going to be talking about today. We'll talk with the National Association of Conservation Districts. Uh, They're happy with some of the things in the spending bill from a conservation aspect and we'll talk about that what we might expect this year ahead as far as some conservation work brian jennings ceo of the american coalition for ethanol will join us uh some new research out on the environmental benefits of biofuels of ethanol in particular and we'll also get his thoughts on just how much china may or may not buy when it comes to ethanol A lot of hope there, but now there's some talk about them kind of scaling back on some of their ethanol commitments, so we'll talk about that. Then Don Parrish with the American Farm Bureau Federation will be joining us as well. We'll get an update on waters of the U.S. This should be a could be a very big year for getting a new rule. So we'll talk about all that on today's program. But let's uh, start things off with Phil Brasher, executive editor for AgriPulse Communications. Phil, first time we've had a chance to talk here in the new year. Happy New Year to you. I'm I'm looking yeah, at uh, Happy New Year to you as well. Thank you. You're looking at uh, what you guys are reporting on there at AgriPulse, and uh, right at the top of the list, perhaps uh, more money coming for rural broadband. That would be welcome news. Yeah, this is the uh, Federal Communications Commission. Uh, uh, we're out with a plan. This is a 10-year plan, uh, but uh, they want to start uh, using a reverse auction to start putting some money into, first of all, areas that have no high-speed Internet service uh, at all. So that will be their first priority. Well, that would be welcome news because that's a huge issue in many parts of rural America. Uh either very limited access or maybe no access at all to uh, do the Internet. Yes, it is. Uh, interestingly, one of the big issues, FCC has been criticized because they uh, they use these maps to determine where their gaps in service are, and there's been a lot of criticism leveled at those maps as being um, just really inaccurate, uh, identifying places that serve that really aren't. And uh, what the the FCC, however, is going to go ahead with this uh, this spending uh, based on their existing maps uh, while the updating process is done, because they say it would be a mistake to wait uh, until those maps are better. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, we'll be watching that. That could be. Uh, I mean, hopefully, we'll get some uh, get some progress in those areas that that is much much needed we're talking with phil brasher executive editor of agripulse communications phil uh what's the latest on usmca when could it come up for a vote in the senate well that's uh gonna be uh looks like um the question is when when are the is there going to be an impeachment trial in the senate that's or even more importantly when does uh, speaker pelosi send the impeachment articles to the senate because once that happens it shuts 
uh, shuts everything else down. If she continues to wait to do that, it's possible uh, USMCA implementing bill could be on the floor uh, as soon as next week. If she goes ahead and sends those impeachment articles over, though, it's uh, USMCA is going to have to wait a while. Yeah, it's passed out of committee, so everything kind of just now, as you say, hinges on what uh, Speaker Pelosi does with impeachment. So it it could be a, a vote rather soon, or it could get delayed a while. Yeah, yeah, it could be. It's, it's possible the end of uh, next week, uh, but uh, again, that all hinges on the uh, uh, timing of the impeachment articles. The vote uh, is going to be absolutely overwhelming. Uh, you saw the Democrats in the uh, committee vote for it, and uh, all but uh, I believe three Republicans who who voted for it in, in committee. It's uh, the, the vote on the floor is going to be a huge margin. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you hearing anything about uh, if and when another round of MFP payments might be made this year? Really, USDA has been very, very quiet about this. Of course, they have a third tranche of the 2019 program uh, still. Um, uh, outstanding. They have not said for sure whether they will uh, dispense uh, those checks. And of course, they've said, obviously, said absolutely nothing at all about whether there be a 2020 MFP. Now, I know there's a lot of people assuming that there will be because it's an election year, but uh, I wouldn't count on it yet. Yeah, and a lot will depend, I guess, on this trade deal with China. Uh, if it gets signed next week, and then how quickly it gets up and going. Uh, there are a lot of ifs here. Yeah, there are. It's, uh, how quickly these purchases materialize and to, to what extent they materialize, um, that's going to be a big uh, big determinant for the, the farm economy um, this, year and, uh, in, this year and 2021 as well. We'll just have to, we're all waiting and seeing. They're waiting to see what happens. Later in our program today, we're going to get an update on waters of the U.S. What are you hearing about uh, steps towards getting us to a new rule? I think it's uh, what we're hearing is that it's imminent. Uh, could come in the next few, the, by the end of this month, uh, February possibly, but uh, it's expected to be out uh, very soon. Probably, I mean, there were several regulatory issues that uh, that we're watching that's at the top of the list, and probably the uh, first one that's going to going to be out. And one other, uh, this is always a big one, and of course, it's been controversial for some time now. And that is uh, new rules for the uh, SNAP program, the uh, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. What's the latest with that? Well, there's three big rules, as they call them. Uh, one of them was released uh, end of last year, takes effect in April. That makes it more difficult for states to get waivers uh, from uh, uh, the uh, normal work requirements for uh, food stamps or SNAP. Uh, there are two more rules that are pending, uh, should be out in coming months. One of them basically uh, would uh, reduce income eligibility uh, limits in many states. The other one uh, changes the way that uh, utility costs are used to calculate uh, benefit uh, levels. Um, both of those uh, would serve to reduce the size and cost of the program. 
and uh, again, both of those will be uh, uh, coming out in uh, coming uh, months. I guess safe to say we don't know how it's going to turn out, but we know it'll be controversial, however it goes. Yeah, this uh, this next one that I refer to with in terms of uh, income eligibility, that's going to be, that is the most controversial one, and I think it's uh, partly because the school lunch program eligibility is tied to that, and so kids and families that are uh, automatically eligible for food stamps also are eligible, automatically eligible for free school lunches, uh, and they will drop, uh, they will they will lose that automatic eligibility that their families do. So- So we'll be watching that closely. Phil, always good to talk with you. Thanks for the update. Great to be here. Phil Brasher, Executive Editor for AgriPulse Communications. Up next, conservation programs for this year. Some funding uh, in that spending bill last year. We'll talk about it next on AOA. Weeds want to restrict your freedom and crush the spirit of your soybeans. Never fear. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of superior weed control is here with Liberty Herbicide. Stand proud with greater application flexibility, unmatched convenience, and excellent performance combined with the Liberty Link, Liberty Link GT27, and Enlist E3 trait systems. And it has no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Talk with your BASF rep or authorized retailer about Liberty Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Over to second in time on the first. Double play. Success sounds like this to a Credenz soybean grower. When you pick Credenz, you get a precise variety that fits your field. A variety built to work in your soil type and conditions with targeted traits for local pest and disease pressures. Earning the satisfaction of a successful soybean crop? That's smart. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, there was some good news in the spending bills approved at the end of last year for conservation programs for the coming year. And let's get an update on that from Coleman Garrison, Director of Government Affairs for the National Association of Conservation Districts. Coleman, thanks for joining us. Um, some funding that should really help some key programs, right? Absolutely. We were really pleased to see uh, Congress pass a spending bill for the rest of the current fiscal year back in December. It funded a handful of programs that are really important uh, for conservation programs as well as just generally making sure that local NRCS offices have the appropriate staff in place to assist producers. So which programs will get the boost? Because some of these are, are increases, right? Absolutely. So your normal conservation programs that most of your listeners have probably heard of, the EQIP program, the CRP, uh, those aren't directly affected by this bill. Those are passed in farm bills. Uh, but the Conservation Technical Assistance Program, which is the program that funds NRCS staff at local levels and actually provides the funding to help NRCS staff go out to a, a producer's land and develop a conservation plan, it received about a $10 million increase from last year, uh, which is great news because NRCS has been struggling a bit to keep their staffing levels up, as same as FSA as well. Uh, so providing the needed funding so they can continue to hire and make sure those offices are fully staffed is very important. Yeah, that's been a key 
when it comes to conservation work, the the demand always seems greater than the supply. I mean, it's hard to keep up with the resources and the staffing that's needed uh, to get the work done that needs to be done out on the land. Absolutely, and conservation planning really is a staff-intensive uh, work because you need to have the people that can not only process the paperwork for the conservation programs within the office and meet with producers in the office, but have the time to be able to go out and actually view a uh, piece of land to see what the natural resource concerns are there, whether that be erosion uh, or soil health issues. So having enough staff to do both of those efforts, it really makes these programs be as successful as possible. And I see funding there for watershed protection, flood prevention programs. Uh, after last year, that's that's certainly a priority. Absolutely. Uh, these watershed programs within RCS, they kind of serve as an airbag for larger lakes and larger wet reservoirs by keeping uh, rainfall and runoff at the top of the watershed from really all at one time uh, attacking the larger structures we have, the core structures that really get a lot of the attention. So having funding there to kind of add those airbags across the watershed is really helpful. And dam rehabilitation, we know there was a lot of damage done from the flooding last year. That, that'll that be key as well. Absolutely. Many of these uh, dams, small watershed dams, were created 50, 60 years ago, uh, and there's a lifetime of those. So we're reaching the point where uh, we need to make sure that the while we have funding for new structures as well, that existing structures that may be reaching their lifetime limit are able to be rehabbed because the last thing we want is a big rainfall event to happen, and then it stresses these uh, smaller dams to the point where they're not useful anymore. So Congress's investment in both the new dams, the watershed protection program, as well as the dam rehab is vital to rural America to make sure that we don't, or that we don't continue to see some of these flooding events. All right, so these uh, funds were part of the spending packages approved late last year. How quickly does that money get to where it's needed? So in many cases, uh, the funds were already, they, Congress had been passing what they call continuing resolutions, which is smaller funding packages at last year's levels. So there wasn't a break in funding necessarily, uh, which is a good thing, uh, but simply having uh, the, the agency having the certainty that they know what their funding levels will be between now and the end of September gives them a better chance to really plan ahead and make sure that the funds are going out to where they really are needed. Uh, so certainly uh, for some of these, for CTA program that funds the NRCS staff and conservation planning, uh, having the certainty that they have these extra funds will allow them to do some long-term planning for hiring. Uh, so there wasn't necessarily a break in funds, which is great to see, but also we really appreciate them doing it earlier in the year. Many times uh, long-term funding bills aren't passed till later in the winter or even into the spring. Uh, so this not only allows the agencies to give the certainty moving forward, but hopefully will allow Congress to really start looking at the next fiscal year, 2021, ahead of time. It's maybe we can get back to regular appropriations process where on uh, October 1, the beginning of the fiscal year, we have long-term, year, year-long spending bills in place. Yeah, that would be a nice change if to get back on, our, on the right schedule. We're talking with Coleman Garrison, Director of Government Affairs for the National Association of Conservation Districts. Uh, Coleman, there's always a lot of conservation work that needs to be done. Uh, but I would think especially this year, following uh, all the problems with the flooding uh, and the damage done last year. Absolutely. Uh, many We know many farmers either 
lost their crop that they'd already planted or were never even able to get in the field as well. Uh, so we've worked a lot to make sure that producers have the technical assistance they need if they want to maybe plant a cover crop on after a crop was failed or was never even planted. But certainly as you move forward into the next fiscal or into the next planting season and the next crop year, uh, making sure that producers are aware that for those that have good soil health where they've been doing reduced or no tillage or planting cover crops and improving their soil health, uh, talking to them about how water infiltration is improved through those soils. So maybe you're able to get into your field with your equipment earlier or a crop isn't left in standing water because your soil was able to soak up that water better than maybe your neighbor's field. So it's not something that necessarily we can uh, flip the switch and be ready to go for next year, but it's a larger conversation that uh, producers need to be having with their either their local conservation district or their local NRCS office to see how they can prevent uh, damage from these uh, catastrophic floods from affecting their operation moving forward. While this increase in funding will certainly help and is much needed, uh, there's always a greater need, right? I mean, there's just so much that needs to be done and so much more that... Uh, uh, you'd like to be able to do, and, and those out on the land would like to be able to do, but uh, you can only work with what you have. So this will help, but there there's still a lot to do. Absolutely. We know we've made great strides in uh, agricultural natural resources over the last several decades. Uh, increased funding from Congress for programs like EQIP and CRP have certainly helped. But we know there's so much more that needs to be done. We continue to hear about the hypoxia zone in the Gulf of Mexico and uh, a lot of the blame, unfortunately, gets uh, directed at agriculture. So, And we understand definitely agriculture does contribute to that, and it's something we need to continue to look at uh, and continue to address, and these programs are vital to do that. But, again, so much more needs to be done. There are so many producers that may be wanting to implement conservation on their ground, whether that is learning the best way, best cover crops for their land or installing a buffer on a stream in their land to make sure that any runoff kind of get soaked up there than going directly into the water. But they need the technical assistance. They need the knowledge and know-how to know what to do, and that's really where NRCS and conservation districts try to step in. Uh, we can't be everywhere, unfortunately, and sometimes we're, I know we hear from NRCS offices, they're just barely able to get past the paperwork. So hopefully the increased funding will allow them to hire at appropriate levels where they can do both the processing inside the office but also the one-on-one -on -one, uh, conversations they can have out on the land with producers. Yeah, it's a huge challenge, and I, I don't think agriculture uh, gets near enough uh, credit for what's been accomplished in the last uh, several years. But even with that said, there's a lot to still be done, and it, it, it comes down to that partnership, right? It, 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 that's what has worked and what we need more of moving forward. Absolutely, and that's why conservation districts are so involved in the kind of the voluntary aspect of, of conservation implementation. We know that you need to work in partnership both with the federal agencies, local districts, the producers themselves, because if you don't get the trust and the buy-in from the producers, you're going to be going up against a brick wall. Ultimately, it is the producers that have to implement conservation on their ground. This is their livelihood at stake if, if they do something that ultimately harms their financial bottom line. So if you don't partner with the producers and you don't get buy-in from them, we know that you're not going to actually move forward con overall conservation. Um, certainly, like you said, uh, agriculture does not get nearly the credit that they deserve for the improvements that have been made. Uh, but we know we can't rest on our laurels. We must continue to move forward to improve our natural resource protection. 
Yeah, because uh, there's increased scrutiny all the time, more and more focus, attention, and critical eyes watching what's being done in agriculture and uh, the environmental impact. So uh, this work is uh, vitally important, and it it sounds like off to a, a, a good start in 2020 with this increase in funding. Coleman, good to talk with you. Thank you for the update. Thank you for having me on. All right, that's Coleman Garrison. He is Director of Government Affairs for the National Association of Conservation Districts. Up next, we talk with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. We've got some new research out showing uh, the environmental benefits of uh, using ethanol. But also, we want to talk about uh, reports coming out of China. They may be backing off of their plan to go to more ethanol. What does that mean for what was hoped to be a growth in export uh, sales of of ethanol to China? That was one of the things we were hoping will come out of this new U.S.-China trade deal. We'll talk about that next here on AOA. Farmers can't choose the weather, trade policy, or market prices, but they can choose the most advanced dicamba with confidence. Ingenia Herbicide has the lowest volatility of all dicamba salts for more successful on-target applications. And it's straight from the dicamba experts, BASF. So make the confident choice for your soybean crop. Talk to your BASF rep or authorized retailer. Ingenia Herbicide is a U.S. EPA restricted-use pesticide. Additional state restrictions may apply. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And joining us now is Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Brian, Happy New Year. Mike, Happy New Year to you. It's always a pleasure to join you. Hey, I I thought we'd be, you know, and we are, we're looking forward to uh, hopefully next week, the signing of a phase one trade deal between the U.S. and China. We were hoping to hear that this might really open the door to uh, U.S. ethanol exports to China, but now we're hearing news out of China that they may be backing off their their plan to increase uh, ethanol use there. Uh, how concerned are you uh, what this could mean as far as that those export possibilities? It is concerning to me, Mike, that... Um, China announced recently that they're going to suspend the plan to go to E10 nationwide this year. We did hear some rumblings that this was likely. In fact, the Department of Agriculture uh, Foreign Ag Service put out a report late in 2019 indicating that China would not uh, meet that goal. And so the suspension that was announced the last day or two just sort of, um, you know, solidified that. But the combination of that, and as you indicate, going into next week, the signing of the phase one trade deal with China in the White House midweek next week, we were hopeful that ethanol was going to be a meaningful part of that phase one deal. If you combine these two things together, it would seem to indicate that perhaps ethanol would not be Uh, a robust part of this phase one package. I need to stress that we don't know that for sure. I'm reading the tea leaves. The trade representative's office has been very quiet about what is in and what is not relative to the deal. So we'll see, but I don't like the signal this sends. We wanted to start 2020 off on a stronger 
uh, note than this, and so um, we'll just have to see how things unfold next week. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because the closer we get to this, uh, what we hope will be the signing of the deal next week, and all the anticipation of it, and wondering how they're going to get to this $40, $50 billion level we've been hearing about. It seems like we've heard more out of China about what they're not going to buy than what they are going to buy. So uh, we've got a lot of questions that need answers. Sadly, that's true. What what we do know is that ethanol is hopefully part of the agriculture side of this. There's an agriculture piece of this that you referred to, the 40 or $50 billion in Chinese purchases over time. There's an energy side to this as well, and then there's some questions about, well, does ethanol belong in energy or does it belong in agriculture? Um, I believe it belongs in the agriculture piece, but that's yet to be seen as well. As you indicate, there's there's more questions right now than answers. I just hope that uh, we're going to learn some of these answers in the next few days and that there's a meaningful um, agreement that is reached in terms of whatever this phase one uh, includes next week. Yeah, I just wonder if next week it'll it'll be uh, more about ceremony and uh, you know publicity and uh, and uh, you know more fanfare than it is details. But uh, we'll see. Maybe hopefully we'll get some details next week. All right, we're talking with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Now, tell us about this report that shows how a clean fuels policy for the Midwest should be designed. Happy to, Mike. You know for. The last couple years, we haven't just been spinning our wheels with EPA over how the renewable fuel standard is going to be implemented and how many waivers refiners are going to get and what the volume is going to be. We've also been working behind the scenes with environmental groups, with scientific groups, with other agriculture and renewable fuel groups to try to design a framework that we can recommend to governors in the Midwest, to state legislators in the Midwest, on how a clean fuel program should be structured. And earlier this week, a white paper was released by nearly 30 organizations, including um, uh, the American Coalition for Ethanol, that provides these guidelines. And what's really, I think, remarkable about this, Mike, is that we've been able to sort of reassemble a coalition that we haven't seen together for more than 10 years. You know, more than 10 years ago, environmental groups joined with corn growers and ethanol groups to support enactment of the renewable fuel standard in Congress. And then our coalition fell apart for a variety of reasons. Well, we've been able to reassemble part of that coalition. We have environmental groups, the Union of Concerned Scientists, Conservation Minnesota, Uh, the Center for Energy and Environment, all endorsing the idea that in the Midwest, if you're going to have a program that calls for an increase in clean fuels, part of that needs to make sure that you increase the use of ethanol, you increase the use of biodiesel, you have higher blends in these Midwest states. And so um, we've been able to sort of bring this group back together and coalesce behind the idea that ethanol is one way to help reduce greenhouse gas emissions along with a variety of other technologies. So where does this go from here? Well, the report was released on Tuesday. We're going to be approaching governors and legislators across the Midwest. There's already been some preliminary work done, Mike, particularly in the state of Minnesota. We know that the governor there, Governor Walls, a former member of Congress from Minnesota, 
is very keen on the idea of clean transportation fuels um, increase in, in Minnesota. He's a strong supporter of ethanol and biodiesel. We're going to see if we can get some traction made in these Midwest states to increase ethanol use through these clean fuel policies. And what we've been able to do is take what California has done for a number of years now and build upon the things that they've done right, and this coalition has agreed to rework the things that California has done wrong, and I'm really proud of that. You know, California favors electric vehicles over any other technology. Our group has said we have to have a level playing field. This needs to be technology neutral. California won't allow for rewarding farmers for sequestering carbon in the soil. Our group says we need to make sure that we can provide some economic value to farmers to, to engage in those kinds of practices that store carbon in the soil, that reduce the life cycle greenhouse gas emissions of ethanol or biodiesel, and, and make sure the economic value is there. So we think we have some uniquely Midwestern aspects to this program, and we're going to shop it around to Midwestern states and see if we can get some governors and state legislators to take notice. Then hopefully this could kind of serve as a model for the, maybe the rest of the country. Show those at the federal level uh, how this works. Well, that's precisely the long-term goal. Very insightful of you, Mike, to say that. I think it's a matter of when, not if. Congress looks to pivot from something like the RFS and do something more like the California Low Carbon Fuel Standard. And I shudder to think that the only model by which the Congress someday has to model that program would be the California version of this. And that's why it's so important we try to get a program up and running in one or two or three Midwestern states. So it's an example of how to do it right, how to make sure that you reward technologies and and fuels genuinely based on their low-carbon attributes and not on sort of cherry-picking the life cycle science or going in and saying, well, electric vehicles are our favorite way to do this, and so we're going to bias the program uh, to favor EVs. So, yeah, we got to get a program or two started in the Midwest so when Congress gets around to doing this in the next few years, they have a more reasonable approach by which to model. And before we let you go, Brian, I want to talk about a little bit what's going on with the EPA and the RFS uh, it uh, seems like they can't make anybody happy these days. Uh, not only do they continue to grant exemptions, uh, which is frustrating in the biofuels industry, but now they've got some on the other side attacking them as well. We've got one uh, company that got an exemption before, and now they've been turned down, so they're not happy. Uh, EPA really well, they j- just needs to get their act together on this. They do, Mike, and I, I, I feel like a broken record when I talk to you about this, but the the – EPA mismanagement of this program has not only driven farmers and ethanol and biodiesel uh, stakeholders crazy, but as you note, they're, they're making everyone mad. They've got refiners mad because, because now they're sort of taking a haphazard approach to small refinery exemptions. They were doing it one way under the Obama administration where fewer exemptions were granted. They got sued. They started issuing more exemptions. And then when Scott Pruitt, of course, came in under the Trump administration, it was sort of Katie bar the door, and any refinery that wanted an exemption got one. 
Now EPA is going back, of course, and saying, well, we're going to be a bit more judicious in how we issue these exemptions going forward. We are probably even going to reallocate some of the volume. And so they've taken such a haphazard approach to this when it comes to the management of the program that the stakeholders out there, the businesses out there that rely on certainty, don't have certainty. What we've got from EPA when it comes to the RFS is uncertainty, and that creates problems in the market. And so, yeah, I'm afraid we're going to go through another year of sort of pulling our hair out of our head um, when it comes to EPA's management of the RFS. And frankly, Mike, that's why it's so important that we've been working parallel to that on these on these ideas like, hey, let's get a new clean fuel standard um, up and running in the Midwest to sort of springboard ethanol use uh, into the future. Right. Very proactive indeed. Brian, thank you very much. Uh, talk again soon. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Brian, you too. Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Well, it's 2020 the year we get the new Waters of the U.S. rule. We'll talk about it next with Don Parrish with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Stay with us on AOA. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a credenced soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, credenced soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Talk to your authorized credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Some measure success by Italian suits, corner offices, and luxury yachts. Farmers measure success differently. It's breathing fresh country air, taking care of the people you love, and knowing how to measure success in your soybean acres? That's smart. With Credence Soybeans, you get a precise variety bred to fit your acres. And that Credence variety comes with agronomic expertise and local insights from your BASF team. So plant your sign of success. Talk to your authorized Credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, is this the year we get a new Waters of the U.S. rule? We have some things happening. Let's talk about it with Don Parrish, Senior Director, Regulatory Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Don, thanks for joining us. What's the latest on WOTUS? Well, Mike, I believe the answer to that question or that statement is yes. We will get a new WOTUS rule sometime this year, and I expect if uh, Administrator Wheeler has anything to do about it, it will be sometime probably this month. Wow. So uh, what's what's latest? What's, what needs to happen now to, for that to come about? Well, um, more than anything else, the rule right now is in interagency review, which means it's the agencies are kind of reviewing it internally. They're, you know, the agencies or the Office of Management and Budget is also taking outside uh, uh, meetings with the public to talk about kind of what the last-minute you know, ticks and tacks in terms of trying to button this thing up. But when that process finishes, uh, the administrator will have a rule that, that he is can be prepared to sign. And when that happens, if and when that happens, then does the new rule go into effect? 
you know, what will happen at that point is the administrator will put an effective date into place, and it may be like 30 days after he signs it or something like that. And, yes, there will be a rush, rush to the courthouse, but I expect very quickly after he signs it uh, that it will take effect. It will go into effect. But, as you said, there will be appeals to it. There will be legal challenges. Uh, some we still got in the courts now, right? I mean, how does all this play out? Well, uh, there's a lot of moving parts. Uh, I would say, for the most part, the litigation over the 2015 rule is gone or is going to be set aside for a time being. I would venture to say that we're still going to see in, uh, some additional litigation regarding the repeal rule that was finalized back in uh, in the fall. But when they propose this new rule, it will likely moot out the litigation uh, or make it kind of irrelevant that on the repeal rule and this rule, this new rule will then have to stand on its own merits. We believe that it is very legally defensible. Uh, from reviewing the proposal that we commented on back last April, we think the administration did a good job because they not only looked to Congress and what was in the, the plain language of the Clean Water Act, but they also looked at the legislative history. They looked at the, how the Supreme Court has talked about this, this legislation. And we think they are what they proposed is well within uh, the boundaries of both what Congress authorized and what the Supreme Court has ruled. We think this rule is going to stand on its own. So that that proposed rule, that's the, the final wording? You know what the final wording is of this now? I do not know what the final wording is. I can tell you that it, you know, kind of at the center of, of the proposal that we commented on back last April uh, was a discussion of ditches and excluding those from jurisdiction, uh, a discussion of ephemeral features, things that only have water in them when they could you know, when it rains, I, that is an exclusion that I think is going to carry forward in the final rule. I think the definition of tributary, that's probably the thing that most people has focused on since the proposal. And, and what we're talking about is making a distinction between what is intermittent and what is ephemeral. And I believe the agencies are going to work to try to make sure that, that the public and that the agencies understand the distinction between those two. Uh, I think that's a is something that's that they're going to refine a little bit in the final rule, but adjacent, but the definition of adjacency and some of the other important pieces I think are going to pretty much stay the same that was in the proposal. Uh, I don't see them very you know moving away from what was in that proposal very much. Who is opposing this? Who doesn't like it? Well, you know the people who are going to oppose it are the people that want you know the federal government to pretty much regulate land use activities. And if, if they want to be able to challenge and stop projects when people want to build a home or build a road to, to you know, decrease congestion or, or when people want to, you know, do things on the landscape uh, that, that improve our infrastructure, those are the people who are going to oppose this because they want to stop those kinds of things. Uh, the people that are going to be for it are the people that want to try to make the economy run the people that want to protect the environment but want clear rules to do it by. And, and I think, you know, that's, that's the way this thing is going, to, is going to play out. So we've had this mixed bag of rules out there. Does this, will this finally clear that up, uh, at least until there's a court ruling to say otherwise? I, I hope so, Mike. Uh, I think 
largely we're we've asked for clarity. I think this rule is going to provide a lot of that. Uh, I think, uh, based on on what I've been hearing, that there may be some additional uh, attempts to provide clarity so that people can kind of more than just go right across their farm, but maybe go to a website so that they can kind of have a better understanding of where jurisdiction is and where where a jurisdiction is not. I think I think whatever people do in that area, what the government does in that area to kind of you know provide that level of clarity is a good thing. You know, I'm not certain about that, but I have been hearing rumors that there may be some efforts in that area that would that would make things a lot more transparent, and I think that's what the public is asking for. Yeah, that would be a nice change. So what's the next thing we should be looking for then? Uh, kind of uh, put us on alert here to watch for WOTUS. What are we looking for here? You know what? We're looking for an announcement either by the president or by uh, the administrator of EPA that this thing is done. Uh, I think it is has been, you know, something that that this administration has made a priority. It's taken a long time to put into place, and I think you're going to see a, I think you're going to see an announcement soon. Well, it has indeed been a long and winding road, and and you told us right at the outset it would be, and uh, maybe we're finally getting to a resolution at least. Uh, closest we've been in some time on this don when that comes out we'll be talking to you again and get the details okay i'm looking forward to it mike all right thank you don Parrish, senior director regulatory relations for the american farm bureau federation we're finally looks like we're getting very close to getting a new waters of the u.s rule all right that wraps it up for today thanks for joining us have a great day everyone you're listening to aoa Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even-